Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 123 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. It's funny. I, it's early. I'll say that. It's early in the football season, everyone. So everyone relax before we, before everyone's takes go crazy. And I'm sure we'll say it's early a lot of times in this podcast. But last year, I, I felt like, and we were both on a lot of these together. I felt like I had a stroke of genius last year in my preseason futures for the NFL. I was so out on the Colts, Saints, and Broncos. Like, those are my three biggest takes. My three biggest futures, we hit the under on all of them. We loved the Eagles. We loved a couple other teams that ended up the Jags, a couple other teams that did really well. This year, not so much. <laughs> I was looking at my futures early on, and I'm like, oh, I, I have that much on the Seahawks? Like, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of futures that don't look good for me. But the funny thing is we just got done our college football BGN draft podcast. My college football takes – spot on like the teams that i loved this year like duke and kansas and north carolina and all, all these teams that i was higher on and have their win totals they're looking great these teams that i was out on like clemson and alabama and they're in the toilet a little bit so whatever i had last year in the nfl transferred over to college football and i've fully lost the ability to gamble on the nfl <laughs> yeah uh, i was thinking about the futures earlier today because uh, mine aren't looking so hot. Rams under six and a half, <laughs> yeah, not looking same. good. Uh, Buccaneers under six and a half, they're yeah, two and zero. Uh, Raiders under six and a half, that one still looks fine. Giants over seven and a half, not looking Oof. good. Uh, San Fran under ten and a half. Jury's still out on that one. We'll see, but uh, yeah, overall, not not my best year for futures bets thus far. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough list for me as well, for sure. Something like the Vikings winning division, the Panthers winning the division, rough bets. Bad bets by me. There's a couple of good ones in there, I, but yeah, brutal. Yeah, I got uh, comments rolling in here on YouTube. Daniel Barry, I hope I said that right. Barry Sports Highlight says, hey, everybody. Uh, got a blank comment on Facebook uh, from <laughs> Megan. Uh, thank you guys for joining the show. So uh, as we normally do, we're going to dive in to this podcast with the Eagles game, and in this case, it was on Thursday Night Football. Uh, before we get into every single game, we will talk about every team in the NFL. Uh, so you guys stay tuned for that. And then I'm going to debut a new segment in my final thoughts where I'm going to cancel a team every week that you don't need to care about anymore. So stay tuned for that till the end. But, Mark, let's dive into this Eagles game. Uh, the Eagles win their home opener at Lincoln Financial Field over the Minnesota Vikings 34-28. to Now, on the first drive, they go right down the field, but then with a first and goal from the nine, they went bubble screen, run, zone read, and kicked a field goal. From there, they went three and out, interception, missed field goal. Minnesota was driving uh, to take a big lead before half, and Justin Jefferson fumbles out of the end zone. It's a touchback. Uh, terrible rule, off worst rule in sports, but the Eagles drive down to hit a 61-yard field goal. So instead of 14-10 Vikings, it's 13-7 Eagles. Are we going to have to argue about this again, this rule? No. Right. Wait, I thought you – you think that's a good rule? I don't understand what the alternative is. It should be their ball at the one. 
or for their ball where it was fumbled. Megan That's... says she sent stars. It just didn't show up in our chat for some reason. So thanks for that, Megan. I mean, if you fi- if that ball goes out of bounds six inches earlier, they have the ball on the one yard line. I just think it's a stupid rule. You should be punished. It's be careful with the ball around the end zone. There should be a punishment for losing the ball in the end zone. Meh. Meh. Maybe a safety. I, I I'd be open to hear safety too. Like I, I safety I, would be even worse than a touchback. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I think the touchback's correct. Boo. Anyways, uh, then the Vikings fumble after halftime, and it gives another short field. So the Eagles end up twenty to seven. I won't say they never looked back. It got a little tight. The Vikings could have recovered an onside kick and had a shot, but uh, the Eagles handle business. Mark, what were your main takeaways uh, in this one? My main takeaway is that the Eagles need to figure out how to be up by a lot of points. Like they, they were up 16, nothing against the Patriots and started playing ball control offense in the first half. And they went up 27, seven in this game and forgot how to play. It felt like, and, and kind of let them get whatever they wanted. Um, Honestly, I rewatched this game and for the main purpose, I really rewatched the defense for the main purpose of, kind of i feel like people are really freaking out about the defense and i know that there's a lot of injuries honestly i feel like kirk cousins just played awesome and i know that that's not like a sexy take and uh i I understand that part of that you can just say like oh that's the eagles defense's fault he played good against the eagles defense but i think kirk cousins played like one of the best games i've ever seen him play in that game I, i thought he was just remarkably accurate remarkable at finding the exact weakness each time on the defense and where to go with it. And a lot of that could be Kevin O'Connell as well. Just knowing what he has with Kirk and knowing Kirk will basically take coaching. Like Kirk will put the ball where you want him to put it. Um, I think this was just a, a, a case of it. Surprisingly enough, Kirk Cousins is one of the better quarterbacks we'll play this year, uh, or at least in the NFC. And uh, I think that he found some weaknesses um, against some injuries and I'm not concerned about it because he mainly found those weaknesses once it was 27, seven. Yeah. Uh, I've got a Kirk. This is the most Kirk cousin stats of all Kirk cousin stats. You ready for this on Thursday night? Kirk cousins became the first quarterback in NFL history in his first two games of a season to throw for over 700 yards, <laughs> have a 70 plus percent completion percentage and walk out with zero wins. Nobody's ever done that before in the NFL. So congratulations to Kirk Cousins. Uh, can't catch a break. I thought he played pretty well as well. Uh, the rushing attack is ultimately the the deciding factor here. The Eagles had 19 rushing first downs. Minnesota had zero. Uh, DeAndre Swift had the eighth highest success rate of any player with 25 plus carries since 2016. Uh, Brian Flores threw the kitchen sink at the Eagles offense and DeAndre Swift was just able to grind this out behind a fantastic offensive line performance. Yeah, I think that this was just the case of the O-line mollywopped the Vikings defense. And this was kind of my prediction for the game. And my prediction for the game was everyone was freaking out. I thought we were going to run all over them. It's exactly what happened. I did think we'd do a better job defensively. I thought Everyone loved the over, which ended up being a great bet, ended up being a lock. Um, I guess it was 34-28, right? Was that the final score there? Yeah. Um, so 34-28, yeah, it's 62 points. Went way over the total, which was in the high 40s. But I actually thought the under was – I didn't bet it, but I thought it was a good bet um, because I thought we would run the ball, control the game, and it would kind of be similar 
to last year where the Eagles won 24 to seven. And it felt like that was where we were going. And then the Vikings offense woke up in the second half, figured out how to design uh, quick drops, figured out how to design uh, ability for Kirk to step up in the pocket. Felt like that happened a lot where they created a little space in the front of the pocket, um, even if they were letting pressure on the edges. So Kirk would be able to step up and release. And I, I feel like they were able to figure something out at halftime. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is just due to having Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson and a, a, a really accurate, competent quarterback in Kirk Cousins. Um, I, I think that a lot of that also happened to be once they went up, the pressure went down. Um, mm-hmm. They, 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 they kind of stopped getting pressure. And a lot of that is because of the quicker drops. But um, I, I, I'm not concerned walking out of this game. Like I, I don't walk out of this game any more or less concerned than I was after week one. Uh, I feel the same way, which is relaxed. It's early. Uh, they won the game. They, they, did they, they didn't cover this week. I'm trying to think. I don't remember what the spread was. Cause I didn't bet it. I don't think they covered. Yeah. I, I don't know, but um, I, I, yeah, I, this was a, this is not a concerning game to me whatsoever. Yeah, I, I had money on Jalen Hurts to score a touchdown and Kirk Cousins over 24 and a half completions. So I cashed both of those and got out of the game feeling good. Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown is the best value bet in sports. Uh, welcome back to my old friend. Yeah. All right. Anything else that you want to throw out about the Eagles or Vikings before we move on? No. I mean, we this isn't a preview show, but man, oh, man, Vikings, Chargers, loser leaves town, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna, yeah. Well, that'll be a fun game to talk about next week. Yeah. There's no, there's no chance. That's not an insane game that comes down to the end of the game and someone leaves heartbroken. No chance. Absolutely. All right. Let's transition to the Sunday early window slate of games. Uh, We'll start off with green Bay, Atlanta, Uh, Atlanta wins this game 25 to 24. Bajan Robinson had a, has 172 total yards from scrimmage. Uh, the Falcons went for it on fourth down five times in this game. Uh, and I, there's five times they didn't go for it. All 10 times Arthur Smith's fourth down decisions were the right call, analytically speaking. So Arthur Smith, uh, good with in-game analytics, defies the nerds when it comes to drafting running backs. Uh, but the Falcons are 2-0 and and tied for that division lead with the Saints right now. Uh, But my main takeaway in this game, although I tweeted out that the Packers were dead to me, that was out of anger for them blowing my Packers money line bet and my Desmond Ritter under passing yards bet. I'm still all in on the Packers to win the NFC North. Uh, Missing their two best playmakers in Aaron Jones and Christian Watson. Uh, They were missing David Bakhtiari, assuming he still plays for them at some point. I don't know. Uh, And they were a QB false start on fourth and one, which if you haven't seen it, go see the Jordan love false start. That was funny. they were a false start on a fourth and one away. And then two drop picks away from probably beating a team in the Falcons. I also picked to go to the playoffs. So I'm not going anywhere on the Packers. I still think they're going to win the NFC North. This is one they're going to wish they had back though. And this is in a game that they were missing Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, Quay Walker. um, And you said they were missing Bakhtiari as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there was someone else on defense outside of Quay Walker that I'm not remembering as well that they were missing. So a lot of missing pieces here for Green Bay. And I felt like Green Bay outplayed Atlanta, to be quite honest. Um, 
Atlanta just got the ball last and kind of, uh, I felt like they did a good job holding the ball at the end, uh, and wasting a lot of time and kicking the field goal, uh, with uh, like a minute left and not really giving green Bay a chance. Fun stat here. Games with three plus touchdowns, Aaron Rodgers in 2022, one <laughs> Jordan love in 2023, two so far. Um, I thought you, I thought you were about to say Aaron Rodgers in 2023, zero, <laughs> zero. It'll stay that way too. He's not coming back in the playoffs. Don't ask me about it. Um, oh my God. That's such a stupid piece of news, by the way. Um, but fun fact, Jordan love is the number two quarterback in fantasy right now. After two weeks, who is number one, Shane? Uh, Tua? Kirk Cousins is oh. the number one fantasy quarterback after two weeks. Wow. There you go. So he's not only the first quarterback to throw 700 yards, 70% completion and not win. He's also the number one quarterback in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also some chart out there with Jordan Love. His EPA per play on early downs and late downs is like – both top in the league or like right there with Tua, if not top in the league. So yeah, Jordan love looks like a player. Uh, it looks like a guy I'm in on. Like I, I like what I see from love. I am pretty sure he had a rough second half here. Um, I, I think he had a rough fourth quarter, but he did. Yeah. Yeah. Out, outside of that. I, I thought he looked really good in this game overall. Yeah. If Jordan love is good and the Packers make the playoffs, this is going to be like my master stroke of preseason predictions. It'd be a great call. That'd be a great call for sure. I'm already mad that I didn't bet it. I didn't bet them to win the division, and I should have. The odds weren't that crazy on it, to be honest. Yeah. So, All right, let's go on to our next game. It is the Las Vegas Raiders at the Buffalo Bills. They get blown out 38-10. to 10. Uh, My two main takeaways from this game both center around the running game, and it's that the Bills can run the football. Now, apparently, James Cook had 127 yards on 17 carries. Shout out to James Cook for putting up 123 yards for us to talk about on the 123rd episode of Chalk Talk. Uh, maybe this is the James Cook edition of the show. And then the other one is Josh Jacobs can't run the ball. He finished with negative two rushing yards in this game, which is the fewest rushing yards in a single game by a reigning rushing leader in NFL history. So rough day out there for Josh Jacobs. Great day for James Cook. Yeah, Josh Jacobs, I'm trying to find – uh, the the tweet here uh, from the offseason, Josh Jacobs had historic amounts of carries last year. And generally when that happens, it doesn't get followed up well the year after. Uh -huh. um, we've seen this a long time, dating back even to like Jamal Lewis. Um, only one out of the 10 players to lead the NFL in touches in the last decade ended up with more than a thousand rush yards the following season. Was Jacobs, it Adrian Peterson? It, I, I actually don't, I don't have the outlier. Okay. But that sounds like it might be right. It, it's probably him or Henry. I'd imagine. Um, Jacob It's probably Henry actually. Now that I'm talking it out last decade, it's probably yeah. Henry. Jacobs also had 340 carries last year. Only one of six running backs since 2010 uh, had 340 plus carries, had over 1,075 yards next the next season. So it, it seems like he might have been used up last year. And this is kind of why you don't pay running backs. Like they can go like that, that running backs can lose it in the snap of a finger. Just watch Zeke. Um, there, there's been a ton of them over the years. But anyway, I, I think the main takeaway from this game should be that the Buffalo Bills all – 
the rumors of the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen's demise were greatly, greatly exaggerated. They have an issue with the Jets. They need to figure that out. Salah has some something figured out with Josh Allen. The other teams in the NFL haven't figured it out. And I will say Josh Allen was every bit as reckless in this game as he was in the Jets game. It just worked. And I feel like you're going to get you're going to get that could go either way. Josh Allen will always be entertaining. Sometimes he will be terrible. It, like, you know, we talk about the we talk about the scale for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks you win in spite of, quarterbacks you win with, and quarterbacks you win because of. Like Josh Allen will be on one of the two extremes. You will win the game or lose the game because of Josh Allen, but he will never be a bystander, a passenger on uh, the car for his own fate. So uh, Josh Allen will decide these, these games for the Bills. What I'd say about that is Josh Allen, if you look at like last year, he is, if it's Jekyll and Hyde, if Jekyll's the elite part of Josh Allen and Hyde's the bad one, the first nine weeks of the year, he's, he's, he's Jekyll. He's, he was elite every one of the first nine weeks of last year. And even out of the first like 13 weeks leading up into the Jets game that he got hurt in, he had like one bad game. Like, I think my problem with that conversation with Josh Allen is that I think it reduces how good he is. Like, I think people, when people say that, it becomes like, oh, the the bad is just as bad as the good is good. In my opinion, like, if you're taking the bad with the good with Josh Allen, the bad's here, the good's here. Like, Josh Allen does so much stuff where he goes out and wins you football games. Like, and honestly... Even week one, he was not good. He threw three picks, got sacked a lot. He was still better than, like, these most quarterbacks' bad games. He was maybe more destructive, but, like, he still had 236 yards, 70.7% completion percentage, 29 for 41. Like, he had 36 yards rushing. He had two first downs rushing. Like, he still does things in these games when he's back because he can make things happen with his legs. He's always a big threat. Like, I think Josh Allen is the second. I'm starting to go back to thinking maybe we he we never should have put Burrow over him. Like, and I know that I'm going the. It's funny, like it's I, early, I, Mark. It's early. Let's not write. Let's not write Burrow off. No, no, no. And I'm not. It's right. it's the, Allen and Burrow's always been neck and neck for me. So that's I'm starting to think I may have been wrong to put Burrow ahead of Allen because I was. I had that opinion for sure, but I just watched them and not just this year, but Allen has so much ability in the run game to, to make your life a nightmare. Um, and even if he doesn't run it just to throw it, like that's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard. And that'll, my opinion on that'll change by the week. I'm sure. But um, it's funny because everyone else is going the opposite way on Josh Allen. And it feels like I'm buying all the bills and Allen stock I can get. I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I might end up going in and put and putting in a future. The problem is we're going to talk about a different team in the AFC in a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Joe Burrow, let's get into it here. We've got our next game on the slate is Baltimore at Cincinnati. Baltimore wins this game 27 to 24. Mark and I told you guys for years, Lamar Jackson is a legit passing quarterback who was never given the opportunity to be a, run a traditional passing offense. Lamar Jackson's 0.26 EPA per play 
so far this year, as he's getting used to a new offensive coordinator, would have ranked third in the NFL last season behind Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. Lamar Jackson in this game was 13 of 19 with two touchdowns when targeting slot receivers. That is his second most slot targets in a game in his career. You know why? The Ravens didn't used to have slot receivers because they went heavy personnel with fullbacks and tight ends and ran the ball. Lamar Lamar Jackson is playing incredibly. Baltimore is every bit of a Super Bowl contender. And not to just, you know, toot our own horn about what we were right about, because we also told you the AFC North was a gauntlet in the offseason. And now I'm starting to think there's only one good team in the AFC North. Uh, I'm not sure. Joe Burrow pulls up on his calf during this game. He's still hurt. And the Bengals rushed him out there to start 0-2. 60% of Cincinnati's drives have ended in three and outs this season. He is 6 of 21 on passes of 10-plus air yards in the year, and none of them have gained more than 20 yards. They're not explosive. This isn't the Eagles who have a talent advantage on the offensive line and in the running game. Like Joe Burrow has to be 100% for this team to be good. And he is now likely more injured than he was two weeks ago. And the Bengals are 0-2. I'm officially worried about the Bengals. And you know who stepped up in this game for the Ravens? Who's that? Kyle Hamilton. The guy is an absolute beast. I just sent you a DM of a play he made in that game. Um, it's a game-saving tackle on third down. Um, there, there was absolutely no one behind him, and he – makes a tackle on Irv Smith Jr. um, who has a wide open field in front of him. Um, They were up 10 at the time. That could have really, really changed the game. Um, Baltimore's defense, I think, is going to end up being a lot better at the end of the season than it is right now. They have some injuries, and they also have a lot of young pieces that they're inserting. If Lamar stays healthy, and that's obviously the big if, and if they keep their receivers healthy and maybe they add a running back. I really think they need a running back. Their running game is – really bad outside of Lamar. It kind of worked this week with Justice Hill and Gus Edwards. I just don't know if that's a long-term strategy. And I think there's a ton of available running backs that could fit in well. And they've shown in the past, they will sign a guy off the street and give him 15 carries. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see them do that again and find another guy. Um, But for the time being, if Lamar stays healthy, the receivers stay healthy, that defense is going to get better as they get back some pieces and their young pieces start to get better. Uh, I, they are absolutely a Super Bowl contender and probably, I was going to say the third best team in the AFC, but I forgot about Miami. Top four team in the AFC. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on to our next game, which is Seattle at Detroit. Seattle wins this one in overtime, 37 to 31. Uh, Detroit was able to kick a field goal after getting a stop via a 17-yard sack to send the game into overtime. But in overtime, Geno Smith walked the team down the field, and then they walked it off with a touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett. Now, Detroit was missing both offensive tackles in this game. They lost Big V in the fourth quarter. After losing David Montgomery, the Lions were unable to run the football despite spending the 12th pick in the draft on a running back. Make of that what you will. Uh, By the way, the running back that they offloaded for a fourth-round pick because they spent the 12th pick. It's it's not like he had a good game. Yeah, he he had more yards on Thursday night uh, than Jameer Gibbs has in both games combined, uh, (laughs) but that's whatever. Uh, But the thing I want to talk about really in this game uh, is Seattle. Seattle got Detroit in base defense for 11 dropbacks. 
they generated six explosive plays in those 11 dropbacks. 22 total plays, they got Detroit in base. They picked up 12 first downs. Uh, Seattle, out of 13 personnel, that's one running back, three tight ends. Geno Smith was six of seven passing for 103 yards with five first downs, had a .97 EPA per drop back. So you drop Geno Smith back seven times out of 13 personnel, that's basically a touchdown. Uh, Geno was nine of 13 when blitzed. He only took one sack despite missing both tackles. Throwing outside the numbers, Geno had a plus 20.1% completion percentage over expectation and two touchdowns. Gino was throwing darts all game, and I really like to see them bounce back after a rough week one outing, obviously losing both tackles. I'm not ready to say that they can't win their division. I, I was really encouraged by their performance against Detroit, who I think is a good football team. I This was big for me on a, a num, in a number of ways. I did not bet this game, but um, I was very high on Seattle coming into this year and lower than consensus on Detroit coming into this year. So this is one of those games that affirms some beliefs that I have at least, or at least makes me feel not as stupid as I would have felt if Seattle would have started 0-2 after I predicted them to go 13-4. and um, I My expectations have changed with Seattle with the injuries that they've had. Um, but I want to focus on the Lions here because I didn't realize how much I hated Dan Campbell and the Lions until I was watching this game. So like I said, I didn't have money on this game. And I was watching like I was a Seahawks fan. Like I was watching like a 12th man. Like I, when they tied it up to go into overtime, I was pissed. Like I I thought for sure Detroit was going to win the game. Um, But Seattle to figure out a way to win, I I think shows a lot about Pete Carroll. Um, Losing your two tackles and then going on to score 37 points. um, The way they did is incredibly impressive. They have some issues on defense for sure. They have some issues on the O-line for sure but seems like they have enough talent to at least work through some of that for the time being, and they'll get some of those pieces back. So um, I, I'm high on Seattle. I, I, I'm back to I'm back on the bandwagon. I was hanging off of it after week one because you know how low I am on the Rams still. Um, but yeah, I, I was I'm back on. And real quick, just want to say everyone that proclaimed the NFC North to the Detroit Lions after they won by one point against the Chiefs when the Chiefs were missing their second and third best player and had four drops from Kadarius Tony with one of them going into the hands of a lion for a pick six. I, I, I don't know. I, I hope you're hope you're not feeling great after losing a home game to a team that just lost both their top tackles. <laughs> All right, let's roll on to the next game. It is the Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans, Indianapolis wins this game 31 to 20. Uh, Anthony Richardson started the game strong before exiting the game with a concussion in the second quarter. Uh, Gardner Minshew stepped in and led consecutive 75 yard touchdown drives to build a 28 to 10 halftime lead. Uh, the Colts harassed CJ Stroud all day, who I thought still played a good game, but they sacked him six times. They hit him nine times uh, and Stroud lost a fumble in the, in the game. All in all, I thought it was a good showing for both of the rookie quarterbacks, even though Richardson's was abbreviated. And really, that's what this season is all about for these two clubs, is developing those rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, no, and I wanted to pull this stat up. Laramie Tunsil was inactive in this game. Mm-hmm. Houston was already missing its starting right tackle, Titus Howard, who's out until week five. 
their left guard, Kenyon Green, who's on season-ending IR, their center, Juice Scruggs, Juice Scruggs, who was drafted this year and is now on short-term IR, their backup center, Scott Quisenberry, who is on long-term IR, and their backup for Tunsil was replaced by Josh Jones, who got hurt in this game. Goodness. So just, just an idea of what's going on with the Texans' offensive line. I think C.J. Stroud played incredibly in this game, um, given those circumstances. And yeah, and given who he's throwing to, and I mean, we I talk about the sacks and the fumble, but he was still he was thirty of forty seven passing for three hundred eighty four yards and two touchdowns. Did not throw an interception. A one hundred three point five QB rating. Like those are good numbers. And then when you add the context of oh he's a rookie quarterback, oh he has no weapons, and the entirety of his offensive line is hurt. I thought it was a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, I'm looking for another stat here, too. And, of course, I can't find it now. Um, but, yeah, C.J. Stroud, uh, most most pass, uh, second most pass completions in the first two career games of his career at 58. There was another stat. Of course, I can't find it now. But C.J. Stroud has been really, really good over these first two games, even if his team is even way farther back than I thought they were from being at all confident. Yeah. Uh, another fun stat from this game, uh, Anthony Richardson had two rushing touchdowns in the first quarter of the game. Mark, do you know who the Ooh. last Colt to do that was? The last Colt? Um, hmm. Sam Hellinger? I don't know. No. Edger and James back uh, in I didn't know if you were kidding. <laughs> I thought it was a quarterback. I thought, uh, yeah, so I was thinking quarterbacks that run on the Colts. Yeah. It's not Peyton. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was so he's the first guy to do it since Edger and James 24 years ago. So impressive stuff there. Obviously, he's got to figure out how to finish a game. He left the game in week one with an injury as well. So uh, that is a concern, but uh, he's been fun to watch play so far. Trevor told him. Trevor said, you can't you can't keep taking these hits, man. You got to get down. Mm-hmm. And then he gets he gets hit again. And this is the second straight week that he has a suspected concussion. Um, so it's just he was so fun to watch and it was looking like maybe you have to bet Anthony Richardson anytime touchdown every single week now, uh, but they're going to have to put some sort of reins on him. Um, but early on, looks like you were absolutely right about him having just an absurdly, absurdly high ceiling and probably should have went higher than Bryce Young at this point. It's really, it's safe to say. Yeah. All right, let's roll on to our next game. It is the Kansas City Chiefs uh, at the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Chiefs win 17-9. to The Chiefs turned the ball over three times in the first half, so they were compounding mistakes from week one. Uh, But then they rallied for a touchdown drive right before half to take a 7-3 lead, uh, and ultimately they end up winning the game. The Chiefs lost the turnover battle 3-1 in this game. They lost the penalty battle 12-2 including five flags on right tackle Jawan Taylor, who everybody pointed out he was lining up illegally in week one. Uh, Apparently he can't play if he can't do that. Five penalties in this one. He was benched during the game and then later came back. But uh, the Chiefs got Chris Jones back, and it made their whole pass rush better. He and Felix and Yuduke Uzoma teamed up to strip sack Lawrence in the fourth. Uh, Jones also had a fourth down sack earlier in the game that was good. Uh, the Jags offense just struggled. They got into the red zone twice in the fourth quarter and they walked away with only three points. Trevor Lawrence was zero of seven passing in the red zone. And if the end zone was 11 yards deep instead of 10, he would have thrown two touchdowns. It was just a game of inches. They kept missing, but 
at the end of the day, the Jags are six of 24 on third downs this season, and they're one of five on fourth downs. They have, they just cannot convert on late downs and it's handicapping this offense. Yeah. I, I think that the, the Jags freak out session that I've seen is going too far. Um, it is what I'd say, because I think, like you said, they just missed a couple touchdowns here. Um, and the guys just got their feet down and they would have been touchdowns. And the offense was elite in week one. Um, I, I thought that the offense looked incredible for most of week one. Calvin Ridley looked elite in week one. Um, uh, they have to figure out the running game a little bit, but I know that there's people freaking out about press Taylor. I think the Jags are just fine. It's the takeaway from this game is that we're all screwed if the chiefs have a top five defense. And I think that might be the case. And it seems like they are finally kind of reaping the benefits of a couple of years ago that or last year, really, they made the decision of, all right, we are going to pour our resources into the offensive line and into the defense because we have Patrick Mahomes and we don't have to worry about skill position guys besides Travis Kelsey. So they poured draft picks into the offensive line and defense. What, what have they done with those? They've drafted Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith on the offensive line. Who both, both my guys. Been, yeah, you loved both of them. Both, both have been elite. George Karloftis, who has been great. Willie Gay, who's been great. Nick Bolton, who's been great. Leo Chanel, who's stepped up. Legereus Sneed, who's been great. Justin Reed's been great. I don't. Did they draft Justin Reed? No. He was a pickup, Tech but yeah. He, he was a pickup, uh, but Trent McDuffie is just an incredible pick as well. You liked him as well. I wasn't as high on, on McDuffie. I liked Karloftis a lot. I liked the the the, uh, the linebackers they drafted. Chris Jones, obviously one of the best players on the planet as well. So you put Chris Jones as the centerpiece of a defense that's surrounded by all that young talent. I think they have an argument by the end of the year at being one of the best defenses in the sport. Um, and that's a scary, scary proposition when you've got Patrick Mahomes lining up under center. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, hopefully for the rest of the NFL's sake, that doesn't come to fruition. So, yeah, it's like I want to make a bet on the Bills to win the AFC, but it's like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Like, Because I, I am really starting to think the Chiefs are just going to cruise to another Super Bowl. All right, let's roll on to the next game. It is the Chicago Bears at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Chicago loses this game at 27-17. Baker Mayfield went 26 of 34 passing for 217 yards, and he never took a sack. Were it not for red zone issues, the Bucs were only one of four in the red zone, uh, the Buccaneers would have blown out the Bears. Uh, Mark, this is a cool stat. Baker Mayfield has accomplished something in Tampa that Tom Brady never did. He started 2-0, and and he didn't throw an interception in either game. Tom Brady never did that. So, new Tom Brady? I don't think so. But I thought it was a funny stat. Uh, meanwhile, for the Bears, Justin Fields took six sacks. Uh, he threw a pick six on an inside screen late in the game to Shaq Barrett to really end the game. It was uh, Bears were down three. It was like four or five minutes left. I can't remember exactly. And got that pick six on the inside screen, which – Probably a terrible play call in the shadow of your own end zone, but I just think that's the level of coaching that is in Chicago right now. The Chicago Bears tried to build around Justin Fields this offseason. It's just not enough. The play calling is not good enough. The weapons aren't good enough. The O-line is not good enough. 
And frankly, Justin Fields hasn't been good enough. He deserves a share of the blame, but uh, I don't know what the Bears are going to do. I think the Bears are in for a very long season with a lot of uncertainty at quarterback again. Well, at least they have Carolina's draft pick as well as their own, uh, because it looks like those are going to be two of the top draft picks. And then you have to make a decision on quarterback, it seems. So um, I think that the Bears are a joke. Their roster's so bad overall at every facet of it. I think they've done just a horrific job. They could have got Jalen Carter after trading down from one and picking up those assets. And they traded down again for a fourth round pick so they could take Darnell Wright. Uh, if I was a Bears fan, I think it's one of the more hopeless situations in sports right now. Um, and I don't even know how I'd handle it as a fan. Uh, the Tampa stuff, man, I, I I think that they're competent. Like, they have a lot of talent. Like, on defense as well as Mike Evans looking every bit like the elite receiver that he's been for a long time now. Uh, I think Tampa Bay can be live in this division. Marvin Harrison and Brock Bowers would go a long way to helping the Chicago Bears offense next year. Uh, if they're picking that high, I think Justin Fields will be elsewhere. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Especially since they, he wasn't drafted um, by those guys. I'd imagine that Justin Fields will be playing on like the Patriots or something next year, and then we can go all in on them again. There we go. All right, let's move on to the next one. Another overtime game this time. We have the Los Angeles Chargers at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans win in overtime 27 to 24. I'm trying to decide if I want to do this now or later. I'm just going to do it now. Uh, So the Chargers punting on fourth and two from Titans territory, like the 40-yard line early in the game, in a game that goes to overtime. You didn't think you want to try to pick that up? They're giving up explosive plays and key moments on nine play action passes. They gave up 70, 14, 20, and 49 yard passes. You cannot give up explosive passes to an offense that cannot move the football consistently. JC Jackson is rotating series. Joey Bosa barely played. He had two sacks and like 12 snaps. Khalil Max absent. He's not making an impact. Derwin James isn't. We came on this podcast last week and you said Ryan Tannehill had the, one of the worst games of his career and it's not a storybook career. He was great this week. Their defense ranks 26th in success rate, 30th in EPA per drive, and 32nd in DVOA. Brandon Staley, whose, off, or whose defensive approach is designed to limit explosive plays, they have allowed the most 30-plus yard completions in the NFL since he was hired. Since Staley was hired, they rank 28th in EPA per drive and success rate. It's absurd. Staley is a fraud. His defense, (laughs) you know why his defense was good? Because it had Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. And oh, by the way, Sean McVay was calling the offense, putting up a lot of points. Brandon Staley is a joke, man. Like, he, they should absolutely fire him. They should have done it last, they should have done it last year when he put Justin Herbert out there in a blowout with fractured rib cartilage i'm done with brandon staley and until the chargers get done with brandon staley i can't take them seriously as an organization now herbert and the offense don't get away without criticism the offense has been good this year it's been really good but at the end of the day it's a game of inches and the chargers have had six possessions in the fourth quarter and overtime with either a chance to take a two-score lead or to win it at the end they're 0-6 in those opportunities and thus 0-2 this year. 
and they have to be better. Kellen Moore, Justin Herbert, you've got to be better in those situations. But Brandon Staley is out of his depth. He has always been out of his depth, and this team will never go anywhere with him as a head coach. Yeah, I, I agree with all the stuff about Staley. I mean, he was bullied out of being aggressive. Like, he was bullied out of doing the right thing on fourth downs and uh, on field goal situations and when to go for it and when to go for two. And, uh, yeah, he loved doing that stuff, and it went wrong for him his first year. He got bullied. He read all the stuff, all the hate, all the criticism from the old heads of NFL media, and he went from doing that to being one of the least aggressive coaches um, in in the NFL in those situations. So, Staley's a moron. But what I'll say is, Justin Herbert. I, I almost feel like I'm like regurgitating it. I had a a clip go nuts on the Gambler, the radio station I work at, Fox Sports, the Gambler. Their their Instagram account. They put out a reel of me going nuts on Herbert after the game. And the funny part is it was not, it was about last week. It was after week one um, when he got the ball back with, with two minutes to go down two, and we all figured, Oh, Miami missed the PAT. The, the, Herbert's going to go down and win the game. And he couldn't get 30 yards in that situation. That's fine. He scored 34 points in that game, but you'd like him to be able to get a field goal there. Week two comes along. He gets a chance down three with whatever, three minutes to go, goes right down the field. Great drive all the way down to the 10 yard line. 40 seconds left has all their timeouts. Can't get another yard. Incomplete, incomplete, takes a sack. Field goal to go to overtime. And then by the grace of God, the Chargers get the ball in overtime. Shane, this is considered such an getting the ball in overtime is considered such an advantage that we had to whine and complain and cry for new overtime rules because it's just unfair that the coin flip determines who wins the game. Because obviously, if you get the ball first in overtime, you're going to win the game. Justin Herbert got the ball first in overtime against a bad titans defense and failed to do anything with it didn't gain a yard three and out and a punt and the titans they go right down obviously at that point the chargers defense is bad we all know that but justin herbert had two chances to keep their defense out of the game go score a touchdown or if you don't score a touchdown redeem yourself when you get a second chance and at least go down and get a field goal I, I was just shocked. I, I had Chargers minus two and a half, so I'm obviously biased here. It was one of my favorite bets of the week, but they're in my graveyard now. Like I, I'm, I'm done. I cannot bet the Chargers anymore. It's just not, it's not healthy betting the Chargers. <laughs> it's not a smart decision. They charge are all over the place, and this was one of the hardest. This was one of the chargerest chargerings of all time. I mean, it, it goes right up there with me. So funny enough, like it doesn't feel as historic, but it goes right up there for me with the 28 nothing charger. Like the fact that you just have two chances against a terrible defense to go down there and make it happen. Maybe I'm being too mean about the Titans defense, but their pass defense is not good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just he has he just doesn't have it. And I, I should say. 
he's a top seven, eight ish quarterback. The problem I have is when he's put in the tier with people like Josh Allen, people like Joe Burrow, people like Lamar Jackson. And I don't even want to bring Jalen Hurts into the conversation because it clouds the conversation and people want to yell about homerism. So keep Jalen out of it, even though Jalen's went to a damn Super Bowl, keeping him out of it. Lamar Jackson's 48 and 16 in his career, and Trevor Lawrence or and, and Justin Herbert is 25 and 26. I know that QB wins are not everything, but it's not like Lamar Jackson's been in a good situation. Lamar Jackson's had terrible receiver play for his entire career, bad running backs, hurt O lines, and Baltimore has, no matter what, been a great team when he plays. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, so, and you mentioned QB wins aren't a thing. Let me tell you what is a thing. Head coach wins. Because the <laughs> Los Angeles Chargers, they just said, we think we think Justin Herbert's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Five years, $262.5 million deal. In 36 games with Justin Herbert as his quarterback, Brandon Staley is 19 and 17. Yeah, it's Get not good enough. Get that clown out. Get him out. Totally agree. No, I, I'm totally with you. Um, what I don't want to see happen, and I've already seen it, is people complaining about Chargers play calling. Kellen Moore is one of the greatest offensive coordinators in the sport. If I were making like a top five to ten of play callers, I would want to lead my team. He'd be on that list. And that has nothing to – If I'm you sorry. fired Brandon Staley and made uh, Kellen Moore the interim head coach tomorrow – I would pick the Chargers to go to the playoffs. Absolutely. I, I, or that would be a good step in the right direction at the very least. I think Kellen Moore's a, a, a genius. So maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm overrating Kellen Moore. That has nothing to do with the, me trying to undercut Justin Herbert by giving Kellen Moore credit. But I've long been a Kellen Moore guy. Like I thought that the Dallas decision to get rid of him was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe they'll turn it around. And I'm, I, 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 you know, it's hard to say much more. Because I'm not even – the problem that I have with the conversation that I'm getting killed on Instagram for – I don't go on Instagram, so it's easy to avoid it. But <laughs> um, I'm getting killed by people telling me I don't know ball. But the problem I have is I'm not saying anything that crazy. I'm not saying the guy stinks. I'm not saying the guy's, the guy's not great. I'm not saying the guy's not uber talented. What I'm saying is I need you to accomplish something. Before you're put on the level of Josh Allen, who's won year after year after year, Joe Burrow has been to a Super Bowl and has won two years in a row consistently, and Lamar Jackson, who 48 and 16 speaks for itself as a record, um, and as well as Jalen Hurts, who's what 20 and one now in his last 21 starts in his career, and he's went to a Super Bowl. Again, I understand that everything is based on circumstances. Everything is based on the team you're on. But I think that the my Lamar example is kind of why I have an issue with the Herbert thing. Because I think Lamar gets none of the benefits of the doubt that Justin Herbert gets. And I think people turn it on me and they try to make it a Jalen thing. If anything, it's really more of a Lamar-Josh Allen thing. Because those are two guys who I think are uber, uber talented. But because they might not be the perfect pocket passer who looks great on the all 22 film. I don't think they get some of the same benefits of the doubt that Justin Herbert gets. Whereas I would take either of them seven days of the week out of seven over Justin Herbert. Yeah. 
All right, let's cap that one and let's move on yeah. so we don't get yeah. too long there. I agree. I agree. Uh, I still think I, I am higher on Herbert than you are. I think I'd still have him. I'd have to look back at my rankings. I think I put him sixth or something like that. I remember my only issue was that you had him over Lamar. That was that was my only issue at the time. Yeah. I think you said that it was injury related though too that you were Yeah, cuz I was more. ranking based when so this is in the off season. You can scroll back up the Chalk Talk feed. We did our top QB rankings. Actually, we ranked all the quarterbacks excluding rookies. I was factoring in injury concerns cuz I'm taking like who I want right now. So like, you know, I'm not I'm not moving Aaron Rodgers down the list cuz he's old just who, who I think the best quarterbacks are right now. And so I had Lamar down some for health concerns. And, yeah. and I'm very high on Lamar. And uh, if I knew for sure he's going to be healthy, I would have had him higher on that list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move into the Sunday afternoon slate. Let's kick things off with, it's kind of a wild game, but the New York Giants at the Arizona Cardinals, they win 31-28 to after trailing 20-0 to at halftime. They scored on the first three. They went into the locker room. The the GM for the Falcon or for the Falcons for the Cardinals yes, was like, "Hey, hey, Johnny Gann, Jonathan Gannon here. We, uh, sir, we we hired you to lose all the games because we want the first <laughs> pick." And Jonathan Gannon was like, "No problem, I can do that." And so the Giants scored on the first three possessions of the second half. They cut the lead to 28-21. They tied it at twenty-eight with under four minutes, uh, under four and a half minutes to go forced to punt and then drove to set up the Graham Gano game winning field goal. That 24 point comeback, uh, 24 unanswered points. That was their franchise's largest comeback ever. So congratulations to the New York giants. They get to one and one bad competition, but Daniel Jones at least looked better. The offense started looking better in the second half. So I think the, the moral of the story for the giants is maybe they can put it together. Uh, they they ran into a buzzsaw in the Cowboys, who we'll get to in a little bit later, but uh, we don't award Super Bowls in September. If we did, the Cowboys are probably playing the best football in the NFL right now. Uh, granted, they haven't played good teams. This isn't a Cowboys conversation, but the Giants ran into a buzzsaw in week one is the point, and maybe their season's not lost. Uh, like you mentioned early, it's still early, and they look to be getting back on track at the end of this game. I'll look at the other side of things here, and I know Eagles fans don't want to hear it because we all hate Jonathan Gannon. They're confident. They're not. They're not a joke. Like Arizona, we came into the year thinking they could be zero and seventeen, and they were going to get blown out every game, and they're going to be a double-digit underdog every game. That's two straight weeks that they've at least competently been in a game until the final seconds of the game. Um, I can tell you definitively right now that he's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. You think Cliff Kingsbury's playing close games with Joshua Dobbs at quarterback? No, I don't. I don't. I think Gannon's done a good job these first two weeks, and I know no one wants to hear that. But um, and it's if it is a tank job, it's incredible because they're throwing everyone off the scent because all you're going to talk about is the fact that they blew a big lead. But the focus on that should be this team's over under was three and a half by the time that week one hiked off, like, and everyone was still taking the under. Um, so it's like this team was expected to be historically, historically bad. So they were never expected to get a lead big enough to blow that way. So uh, honestly, whatever. I, I just wanted to say, like, maybe don't pick against Arizona and Survivor every week. I don't. I think they're a team that's going to win a couple games. Like, I think they're going to figure out a way to win a couple games. Now, I think that their schedule the next couple weeks is really hard. 
Uh, I haven't looked at it off the top of my head. I know that they play Dallas this week, and that's going to be ugly. Um, but besides that, I, I think it, it gets hard and then eases up a bit. Uh, I don't think they're totally, totally incompetent. And Josh Dobbs is pretty good. Yeah. By the way, like, can Dallas just play a decent football team? Like, I think Dallas joke. is really good. I just want to see him play a decent football team. And By the way, you, you you mentioned you mentioned their schedule. They go Dallas at San Francisco versus Cincinnati the next three weeks. Oof, that's brutal. Um, but by the way, you could say the exact same thing about the Eagles. <laughs> and and the Dallas plays a good team before we do because we uh, we I mean Tampa's two and zero, so we play a two and zero team next week. Wink, wink. Um, but I don't feel too worried about the Eagles next four games. Um, it's a pretty easy stretch here. Then we get Miami, which is, I think that's going to be a nightmare of a matchup. Did I tell Um, you I'm going to that game? In Philly? Yeah, first Eagles game. I might be going to that game as well. Nice. We need to meet up, but we can plan that off the podcast. Either way, we'll meet up. But if that's the case, um, that's really funny. Uh, I know I'm getting one game this year. I think it's that one. But uh, that's going to be a tough game. I truly believe the Eagles will be 6-0 at that point. And... I think the 49ers and Cowboys will be 4-0 when they face each other in week five. That, I cannot wait for that game. So I can't. What, it, do you know where that is? Um, no, but I can look it up here in a minute. I don't care where it is because I will be hammering the San Francisco 49ers in that game. Yeah, it is week five. It's at San Francisco. Yeah, I will be hammering the San Francisco 49ers. What do you think the spread will be? I feel like it'll probably be minus three. Like, they'll probably just say these teams are even. San yeah. Fran, you get three for being home. Yeah. Maybe, I, if I was, if if it was this week, if it was this week, I would say it's like minus one and a half. San Francisco minus ooh. one and a half. Because they just played the close game against the Rams. Yeah. The Cowboys have looked unstoppable. I think that's an overreaction to beating up on Zach Wilson, though. Yeah, it's a little less close than the score would indicate, as we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about it. It is yeah. the San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams. The 49ers win 30 to 23. Uh, I thought the Rams gave the 49ers all they could handle. They, they scored their first three possessions, had 16 first downs, and they led 17 to 10. And then the moment I thought changed the game, the 49ers opting for a QB sneak on second and goal from the one with one second left before half. I think in a lot of years past, Kyle Shanahan would have kicked. And he didn't, and they converted the first down or the, the touchdown. They took the lead into half. In the second half, Staff, the wheels kind of fell off for the Rams. Stafford was intercepted twice. One was absolutely not his fault off a of receiver's hands. Uh, it's fleeting my memory now what happened on the second one. But the 49ers end up Van winning. Jeff- Both were Van Jefferson's fault. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So uh, sh- shout out to Sean McVay, who, like I did, obviously took the Rams plus seven for kicking a field goal while down 10 at the end so I could get the push on that one. It saved my whole weekend, man. So shout out to Sean McVay. For reality, though, I tweeted that, and I had a whole bunch of people in my comments being like, they were obviously they bet the 49ers or something, and they were really upset. They're like, NFL needs to look into that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I mean, <laughs> Honestly, what happens is you can't win the game, so you're practicing a two-minute drill, get in field goal range, and hit the field goal situation. Like, 
that's what's going on in that situation. But I heard someone say it's like a fourth tiebreaker, like the the point differential. Yep. Yeah, point differential is a tiebreaker. As I, well. I that I was kind of joking and laughing about it until I heard that, and I'll just say Sean McVay's crazy enough to think about that. Like yeah. the the photo the photo memory and all that type of stuff. Like that's absolutely something Sean McVay would think about. Yeah, uh, Puka Nakua season continues. He had 15- you mean P- Puka Doncic? What? I know you don't get the reference. Do, no, do you know who Luka Doncic is, Shane? Oh, I recognize the name, but no. Yeah, he's he's like one of the best basketball players on the planet. Um, he, he's he's uh, he's like the, I don't know. He's like the Justin Herbert. Of, it's actually yeah. It's actually not a bad comp. He's like the Justin Herbert of basketball. He's had a little bit more. Playoffs. So he's way better than you think he is. Nah, I actually love Luca. That's <laughs> it's probably not a great comp. I'm, I'm trying to think who would be better. Who had like a little playoff success? Like, oh, he's he's, he's Josh Allen. I'll say he's like Josh Allen. He's like Josh Allen. But Luke is one of the best players in the world. His name is Luka Doncic. So I've went to – I've started calling Puka Nakua Puka Doncic. That's my nickname for Puka. Okay, okay. Well, so he's got 15 catches, 147 yards. Woo! He broke the NFL record for most receptions in his first two games. Uh, so, man, I don't know. Rams have been fun to watch. They get Co- When they get Cooper Cup back, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua could be a fun little tandem for Matthew Stafford to work with. Not to mention, uh, what's I'm, I'm, his name is blanking me at the second. Oh, Tutu Atwell, who mm-hmm. is Sean McVay's guy, who now has 13 catches for 200 yards on the season. He's been like a fantasy darling. He's got 17 targets already on the year. Sean McVay basically like, held his GM at gunpoint to draft Tutu Atwell. Apparently like everyone in the Rams front office, like it's funny that this got out, but like the Rams front office was very, apparently very skeptical of Tutu Atwell because of how, I guess probably because of his size. And I was they, very skeptical of Tutu Atwell. I'm curious. I'd be curious to see where we had him rank. Cause I liked Tutu, but I was worried about the size for sure. Um, was I, that, that was 21, right? Would that have been 21? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't have um, draft sheets from that year. That was back when we were posting everything on the painted lines and it's gone now. I should have downloaded <laughs> it all. Before, yeah. Yeah. Before it shut down. I do. I have, and will continue to have spreadsheets of our rankings for 2022, 2023 and on though. Yeah. And I, I have some tweets I can probably go find if we, if we put out some rankings. So, but Tutu it was a guy who was electric in college. Um, and I could see why Sean McVay would have fallen in love with them. And I, I think there's a chance Sean McVay does everything in his power to prove that draft pick correct um, for the rest of the season since it is his guy. I mean, he was like a third-round pick, right? They took him They took him pretty high. Yeah, I think yeah, it was so third. Third-round pick, that's basically like the highest draft pick they've made in the last yeah, decade. Yeah. yeah, that's like a first for them. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention on this game, uh, a potential flaw – weak spot for the 49ers offense is Brock Purdy's downfield passing Uh, on seven attempts of 15 plus air yards in this game. He only threw two on target passes, uh, including overthrowing two surefire touchdowns. So that's a per sports info solutions charting. So uh, Brock Purdy, his downfield accuracy. He, I mean, he's a yak merchant and he executes the offense well, but that is something to watch In in a close game against a better opponent, you can't be leaving two open touchdowns on the field like that. And by the way, one last thing on this game, Kyron Williams, shout out. He, I mean, he is just going to be a fantasy superstar for the rest of the year. I um, will forever beat myself up 
for letting his 40 time yeah, back me yeah. off of how much I liked him because I loved Kyron Williams. And then same he here. ran his 40 and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, same here. I still kept him higher than a lot of people would have and a lot higher than he went in the draft. Uh, but Kyron Williams was a guy who I obviously was biased and loved. He's probably like my favorite offensive player that I ever watched at Notre Dame, at least until this year. Um, I, I loved Kyron Williams so much at Notre Dame. And it doesn't shock me at all that he's worked himself into a role here in the NFL. Just goes to show, like, I mean, he's having a ton of success and he's not very fast if you look at his 40 time. Yeah, that was 2022 draft, right? Yeah, I had him way too low. I'm already depressed about it. Yeah, you had him at 88. And I'm sure I had him at like 50 beforehand, but I had him, I had him at 95. Yeah. I also took a little bit of a stand that year where like I didn't have any running backs in my top 80. That's true. Brees Hall was 86 for you. He was your <laughs> highest one. I had I had Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker 42 and 43. Yeah, I was not high on Hall or Walker. Um, I, I kind of had all the running backs together, so that's probably why I had them all lower than I should have, to be honest. Yeah. I was, All right. thinking, I was taking a weird, like, anti-running back stand that year. Not that that's weird, but I went too far. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next game. It is the aforementioned Dallas Cowboys uh, beating up on the Jets 30-10. to Dak started this game with 13 consecutive completions. Uh, he had 19 pass attempts under five yards in this game, and 10 of them went for first downs. It was a quick game, game plan, and it worked to perfection. I think the surgical version of Dak – is the best version of Dak, and it was on display in this one. And now only two of their six drives into the red zone ended in touchdowns, or it could have been a bigger blowout. So the Cowboys dominate the game. The Jets' offensive line, it's just so bad. Like, you did your whole Titanic, being on the Titanic, and you see the iceberg that is the travesty that's the Jets' O-line, and you know you're probably going to hit it. Well, here's the Jets' offensive lineman rankings uh, right now. Their offensive tackles rank 47th and 54th out of 54 in terms of pressure rate. Offensive guards are 36th and 45th out of 56th, and their center is 27th out of 27 qualifying centers. So the offensive line's awful. Micah Parsons had two sacks, a forced fumble, nine pressures, and three tackles for loss. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson completed 44% of his passes, tossed three picks, and had a 38.1 passer rating. Brutal. I feel like I don't have a lot to say on this game other than like Cowboys defense good, Zach Wilson bad. Like that's that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the take on the game. The Jets need to do whatever they can to figure out a way to get Kirk Cousins in MetLife Stadium by week seven before the season is lost. Um, before Zach Wilson throws away your season, you have an elite roster. You already mortgaged the future for Aaron Rodgers. Why not just go mortgage it again? Go get Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins wouldn't could surely he's not gonna cost that much. Last year of a deal. You don't think he would get a first round pick? No. I think that would be kind of like that's Minnesota's leverage is that they just don't have to do it. They don't, but they're 0-2. He's on the last year of his deal, and they're he's not gonna be there next year anyways. Like I don't think I don't think you gotta get him a first round pick. You might you might if it was today. In two weeks, Vikings 0-4. I think you can get Kirk Cousins for a second. But I think there's going to be a couple teams that would be calling. That's, like that the, might be true. Like the Falcons might give a call. 
maybe like they're two and zero. If Ritter continues yeah. to not really look good, like they might think about it. Like there's a couple teams out there that would think about it. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I do. Think you could, I do think you could drive the price up. That's possible. Yeah. So you're saying you like Brissett to the Jets? I mean, I like Kirk better. Yeah. Brissett, my, I, I think you could get Brissett. I mean, you could definitely get Brissett cheaper. He's not even starting. Yeah. If you're talking about a backup, I know that it's like, I'm not trying to be funny, but I truly honestly believe that Jameis is the best option. Yeah. Like the highest ceiling available is Jameis. I would take Jacoby over Jameis. I would take Jameis. If I'm the Jets, I would take Jameis because I don't I don't need I don't need the high ceiling with a low floor. I just need a steady guy. That roster's so good. But you already have the lowest floor of all time with Zach that's Wilson. Why I want to raise that floor. I'm not as concerned about the ceiling. I just want a guy that's gonna be competent. But I think you could win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I can't you, even say that with straight face. Uh, hold on, but, hold on. Just for the sake of posting the clip on Twitter, I need you I to look into the it. camera and I say, I think say you can win a Super I don't Bowl actually with Jameis Winston. I can't say it because I don't mean it. But if I'm talking myself into a Jets quarterback and it's like Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Jacoby Brissett, Marcus Mariota, who can I talk myself into – going on a magical run and unlocking something and going on almost like a Geno Smithish run where it, he figures himself out, it would be Jameis. Like it, it would be. Cause I do think Jameis was probably not as bad as we thought he was. And then you, if you look at his stats in new Orleans, when he's played, he's generally been very good. Um, it was kind of weird that he got benched last year. Like that seemed like it had, something to do with injuries and then it just never got out. Um, but two years ago when Jameis played before he got hurt, he was very good. Um, that's where I'm at with Jameis. He was being drafted as like a top 12 fantasy QB last year off the strength of two years ago. So I, I, I kind of, I, I really want Jameis on the jets just for the comedy of it. I wrote Jameis off, but he didn't write back. Yeah. Disrespectful. I can't believe you're, you're not a Jameis guy. <laughs> All right, let's roll on to the next game. Washington at Denver. Washington wins this game 25 to 20, or excuse me, 35 to 33. This game wasn't as close as it looks. Uh, the Broncos scored on a Hail Mary on the last play of the game, although it did give them a chance for a two-point conversion. They were up 21-3, though. <laughs> I know, and I had Denver minus three and a half Same. in this game. Watching that meltdown was just awful. Um, commanders struggled early, but the offense came alive. Scoring near the end of the first half and then putting up three touchdown drives in the second half. Sam Howell was 27 to 39 for 299 yards and two touchdowns. He became the first quarterback in commander's history. And this isn't doing like a cute thing where they've only been the commanders two years, like in franchise history to win his first three career starts. Uh, meanwhile, Russell Wilson's going to be Russell Wilson. Washington sacked him seven times in this game. Yeah. I kind of don't know what to think about this game for Denver. Um, they obviously put up 33 points. They were up 21-3. They looked elite in the first half. They were using Russ's uh, deep ball skills to the best possible ability. And then they just totally forgot how to play. I saw someone say, like, Russ realized he had his deep ball back and 
got so enamored by it that he totally forgot how to run an offense. Um, and I, I don't even know what else to say. Uh, just a bizarre game. I truly don't believe in the commanders still. I think they're bad. And I think they're going to get blown out this week by the Bills. But the heck of a win for Washington. And it is an absolutely hilarious way to lose to, to score a touchdown on a Hail Mary and then fail to get a two-point conversion on a quite obviously missed pass interference um, in the end zone because the refs want to go home. Sean Just, Payton and losing games on missed pass interference calls. Yeah, I didn't even connect the dots there. Uh, but, yeah, that was a bad missed call. That He got mugged in the end zone before the ball got there. That was That was shocking. All right, let's roll on to Sunday night where we had the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. Miami wins 24-17. to The Patriots were able to limit Tyree Kill to 40 yards coming off his 215-yard performance in week one. I mean, maybe he was just tired. I don't know. He ran a lot in week one. But uh, Raheem Mostert picked up the slack and rushed for 121 yards on 6.7 yards per carry, including a 43-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. The Patriots shot themselves in the foot with a fumble in the first quarter that killed a drive. And then later in the game, Mac Jones was intercepted by Xavier and Howard. So they had chances in this game. Uh, Mac Jones was sacked four times. The ending of this game was kind of funny. Uh, fourth down, Mike Gusecki. I don't know if you saw this. Mike Gusecki catches the out route. He sh- stood up short of the sticks. And in desperation, he turns and just tosses it to a lineman, to Cole Strange. And I thought Cole Strange got the first down. They reviewed it, and he didn't. Um, I was really pulling for that one, but uh, it doesn't work out. Miami ends up with the win 24-17, and this is the first time the Patriots have started 0-2 since 2001. Mark, do you know what happened in 2001? They won the Super Bowl. They won Super Bowl 36. So uh, look out, the New England Patriots with their loss to the Miami Dolphins, an an in-division rival, just put the rest of the division on notice. Yeah, this is uh, th- this is one that was. I mean, they had a chance to drive to tie the game at the end, but the Dolphins felt much more in control of this game than the scoreboard would have suggested at any point. Um, it just felt like they were the much, 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 much better team, um, and Belichick was able to keep it close, and they were able to, you know, get the ball back with an interception at the end of the game on a bad throw by Tua. But other than that, Tua was pretty perfect um, in this game. Um, it seems like they've found a running game with Raheem Mostert that they just didn't have last year. Uh, so uh, Miami, as long as Tua is healthy, is every bit of a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, absolutely. Defense has to get better, though. Even though only gave up 17 points, not an impressive showing from the defense. Um, but, you know, Fangio, he's got a full season to work with him. Sure, sure. New system and all that. Okay, let's get on to the dual Monday night games. Uh, Mark, you would think with four teams playing on Monday night football, there could be one competent offense among them, and there wasn't. These were two awful games to watch. But let's start with the New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans wins 20-17. to 17. Uh, Awful offensive performances. Bryce Young is being pressured a ton, and he just doesn't have wide receivers to help him out. I thought in the preseason that the Panthers could contend for this division. That's no longer the goal. The goal is figuring out how to course correct before Bryce Young starts to ingrain bad habits that come from constant pressure, constant sacks, having no receivers. Like that's priority one. 
they should consider making a move for a receiver in my opinion. And it's not a go win now move. It's a don't run your rookie quarterback that you traded everything to go get. Meanwhile, the saints, their defense is top notch and they could ride that to the division. Uh, they don't have much of an offense, but their D is so, so, so good. Uh, Derek Carr in this game had a passer rating of 65.5 prior to this game. He was Owen 25 when he had a sub 70 passer rating. So this was his first win with a sub 70 passer rating. Uh, he can give all the credit to Dennis Allen and his defense. Uh, what do you think about this one? I didn't see a snap of this game to, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, I'm worried about the Panthers overall surroundings and I'm already worried that I messed up the Bryce young over CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson call, but that's not fair to Bryce young. He's in a worse situation somehow than even both of those guys are. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that they, like you said, are able to figure out the best way to not ruin Bryce Young. By the way, I had Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, then Bryce Young. We won't Ooh. talk about where I had Will Levis because I had him at 34 and he shouldn't have been in the top 100 probably. But I, see, th- I th- this is a longstanding theory of mine. You do not want to be drafted by a team that trades up to the pit first overall pick. You want to be drafted by a team that was bad enough of their own accord to get there. Because the issue isn't like you would think where's the better place to go, Carolina or Houston. But Carolina had to trade their wide receiver one and multiple first round picks to get up. Now, Houston ends up doing the same thing for Will Anderson, which was dumb, but we don't need to relitigate that. But you want to be the guy that gets drafted by the team that sucked enough to get you without trading up. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, I was high on this situation long-term for Bryce Young. I still kind of am. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. The defense doesn't look the same for Carolina, but uh, two unimpressive wins for New Orleans. Yeah. Okay, and then we will move on to our last game. It is the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland loses this game 22-26. to Mark Pittsburgh entered the fourth quarter trailing by three. They generated negative seven yards of offense in the fourth quarter, and they won the game. That's just incredible. Kenny Pickett became the first quarterback in NFL history to get a fourth quarter comeback victory while generating negative yardage. Uh, 14 of their 26 points in this game were scored by the defense via Alex Highsmith pick six and a Jedrick Wills strip sack that was scooped and housed by TJ Watt. The defense forced four total turnovers. Both offenses in this game were just plain bad. Uh, Deshaun Watson under pressure was three of 11 in this game. On the season, he has a completion percentage over expectation of negative 26.7 when he's under pressure, which is worse among all quarterbacks. I think the Browns stink. I think Deshaun Watson stinks. I don't think Kenny Pickett stinks, but Matt Canada is awful. And he needs to go. But the biggest long stand, the long-term thing out of this game doesn't have anything to do with football. It's the Nick Chubb injury. Uh, Nick Chubb had a gruesome injury. If you have not seen the clip, don't search it out. It's pretty gruesome. Uh, his season is over. Uh, we'll see what it means for his career moving forward. It's speculated. We don't know for sure. But that it's pretty similar to the Willis McGahee injury in 2013. If that's the case, McGahee was able to come back and play 10 seasons in the NFL after that injury. So uh, thoughts and prayers for Nick Chubb. Hopefully uh, he is able to come back next season 
and, and be back to his normal self. Yeah, I just think this comes down to Matt Canada being an absolute loser that the Steelers aren't better and didn't win this game more impressively. Uh, the Steelers have gone 53% run on first and 10 or second and eight plus. Running back runs on these downs, 12 rushes, 3.8 yards per carry, and they're running into loaded boxes on 54% of those snaps. They, teams know exactly what they're going to do because Matt Canada has been doing the exact same thing for his entire career. Uh, I still think Pittsburgh can be competitive. They can be a solid team. They don't have the ceiling that I thought they had because their offense is just totally incompetent. Um, outside of that, TJ Watt, absolute beast, defensive player of the year candidate again. And I'm still extremely confident in saying that he is the best defensive player in the world. Um, scored a touchdown in this game. Um, it also had some big, big pressures and sacks in this game as well. So uh, as long as TJ Watt's out there, Steelers are never going to be bad uh, as long as he's playing and Tomlin's coaching. Um, but man, I would really, really, really love to see them fire Matt Canada and bring in a competent human being. Uh, but Mike Tomlin's been defending him harder than ever. You know, people overestimate their capability when it comes to like sport things. They'll see like a kicker miss an extra points. Like I could have made that. Well, maybe before they moved it back or I could have made that throw. And that's all ridiculous, but legitimately, Steelers, call us up. Fire Matt Canada. I'm fairly certain Mark and I could call an offense that would at least be as good as what's being trotted out there on Sundays. Maybe even just a little bit better. Yeah, Madden. It's just, uh, I ask Madden. It would be better. <laughs> you, could, you could just like spin a randomizer to call plays, and I think it might work out better. So, all right. Well, oh, that, I... I I forgot because there's there's a second team in this game. I was searching. I was just searching my brain for the other take that I wanted to have. I, I was like, what's I wanted to say something else. Uh, it's late, folks. Deshaun Watson. Yikes. That's all. I mean, just, just yikes. Like, imagine painting yourself with a black eye of being the organization that just has no morals and doesn't care and will give the – fully guaranteed contract that no one's been willing to give anyone to a horrible, horrible monster of a human being. And then that guy stinks at football. Like it's just, it's everything you deserve Cleveland. Yeah. Here's Deshaun Watson stats and rankings through two games. I tweeted this out today. Uh, he is 31st in completion percentage, 30th in yards per attempt, 30th in passer rating, 30th in EPA per play, 26th in success rate. But, you know what he's first in? What? Shoving officials. <laughs> he should have been ejected from that game. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, that is going to about wrap this one up. Let's throw it over to final thoughts. I'm going to lead us off tonight, and I'm going to be using my final thoughts this season. Each week, I'm going to cancel a team. Just a team you don't need to care about anymore. A team you don't need to watch. Uh, maybe I'll do it every week. I'm going to try to, but maybe some weeks there won't be a team that disappoints me, but this week I am canceling the Los Angeles chargers. And uh, if you don't know why I'm canceling the chargers, you can just skip back to about 37 minutes into this podcast. When I went on my whole rant about Brandon Staley, I reserve the right to uncancel the chargers if they fire Brandon Staley, but until such a time as they do, I am no longer interested in the Los Angeles chargers. I'm searching through my brain. Oh, okay, okay. My final thoughts are going to relate to the 2024 NFL draft. 
and it's going to relate to the number one pick conversation. It's Caleb Williams. Stop overthinking it. I've randomly heard this kind of surge for like, oh, is it Caleb Williams? Is it Drake May? Is it Shador Sanders? Like, It's Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is starting to be on a Trevor Lawrence level for me of top two quarterbacks I've ever evaluated. Um, every time I watch Caleb Williams, I fall more in love with his kind of potential and the things he can make happen off script and the things he can do improvisationally as well as just his arm strength and everything athletically. He has all the, he has it all. Um, so all I'm saying is stop trying to make the number one pick debate a thing because we have some, we have to have something to talk about in the college football season. Um, I think Caleb Williams is solidly number one. And I think just as solidly as Caleb Williams is number one, Drake may is just as solidly number two. Nobody should be able to challenge Caleb for that number one slot barring injury. And no one should be able to challenge Drake may for that number two slot barring injury. That's my thoughts on some of the, some of the draft kind of questions going around. All right. That is going to do it. Thank you guys for joining us for episode number 123 of chalk talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show and we know that you do smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications. So you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane half NFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry jr. We will catch you guys next Tuesday night for another live edition of chalk talk.